0: Banger Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you, David, for your welcome. A good evening to all of you and thank you to Bangor Worldwide for this opportunity to bring a report on the work of Prison Fellowship, as David has already said, to, as we celebrate our 40th anniversary. It was back in 1980, Chuck Colson, former counsel to, special advisor to President Richard Nixon, attended a meeting here in Belfast with a lady called Sylvia Mary Ellison, the wife of the then Minister of State for Northern Ireland. They spoke about this organization called Prison Fellowship that had its origins in the USA, and how a similar ministry had been set up in England and Wales. George Colson told his story of how he'd been charged with Watergate-related offences during the mid-70s. And while awaiting his appearance in court, a friend gave him a copy of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. As he read that book, he was challenged So much so that he read it several times before getting to a place where he recognized his need of God as Savior, and he sought God's mercy and committed his life to Christ. Some seven or eight weeks after that, he appeared before the courts of Alabama. He pled guilty to the obstruction of justice on Watergate-related charges and was sentenced to Maxwell Prison, Alabama, where he served about seven months. During his imprisonment, he felt he wanted to support those around him in the prison, but was unsure how he would be able to do that. So on his release, he made a promise to the men that he left behind that he would come back and visit. However, that response was greeted as many responses were as, yeah, that's jail talk. We'll never see him back in prison again. On release, however, he did seek God how he might begin a visiting arrangement with men in prison. And he came up with this idea of inviting churches to give one or two folk to volunteer to go into the, into the local prisons and help him to visit those men. He had meetings with interested parties. He made an inquiry to the head of the Justice Department of the United States of America to share his wonderful plan. It was quickly knocked down, however, he said, Mr. Colson, I have enough problems without you coming in. That decision was later overturned or reversed and permission was granted. At that meeting in Belfast, the political unrest in Northern Ireland in 1980 was frightening. Civilians were being murdered, bombings in the towns and cities, across the country, significant unrest in the prisons. It seemed very foolhardy to be establishing a ministry into the prisons of Northern Ireland. However, the group of believers who were present that evening began to pray about the possibility of establishing such a ministry here in Northern Ireland. And in November 1981, Prison Northern Ireland, Prison Fellowship Northern Ireland, sorry, appointed their first director, James McElroy. This was three months after the death of the tenth hunger striker in the May's prison. Those early days saw the commencement of a fledgling ministry that was established on a foundation of prayer. Slowly, those prayers were answered, and God reminded them that he opened a door that no man can shut. A small group of men began to meet in McGilligan Prison with the support of the late Dr. Bill Hawley, who was the medical officer in McGilligan at the time. A Bible group was, was formed and met every week. There was only one rule that those who attended would come from across the political spectrum and if they were going to speak, they had to have a copy of the scriptures in their hand. Otherwise, it could have been a very heated discussion. But those early days continued to see an increase in requests for one-to-one visitors from different men in the prisons. And as relationships grew and developed, and James made his way around the governors and the staff, openings were given to visit in Belfast Prison, better known maybe to most of us as Crumlin Road, and to the Armagh Women's Prison. Move forward 40 years. That foundation of prayer is still at the basis of our work. We give thanks for the faithful support of those who regularly pray, and individually or indeed as part of prayer groups across the country. PF's mission remains to offer hope and a new beginning to all we support, prisoners, their families, or those released. Today we have a small team of 10 staff and have more than 100 volunteers who support the various aspects of this work. We also have a centre in University Street where we're currently completing a major redevelopment and will have new facilities to host our regular drop-in and Bible studies and aftercare in the very near future. In many ways our mission field may be relatively small and indeed, some might say, confined. However, on average, 80 new people turn into their prisons every week. As of the 12th of August, the population was 1,702, that being a 16.74% increase on last year. Less than 1% of those numbers are juveniles, 5% female and 10% are from outside the UK providing us with an opportunity to reach men and women not only from within the borders of this country but from across the world with the good news of the gospel. Our prison workers have access to a small office or hot desking in each of the three prisons today reaching those who are in prison with one-to-one visits Weekly activities are also arranged, and there's different prisons, Bible study in McGilligan and Hydebank Bank Wood Women's Prison. Evangelistic meetings are held on a Friday evening in McGilligan, and just more recently we've re-established our five-a-side football with the young fellows in Hydebank Wood. In May, just past, we were able to run an evangelistic meeting in McGilligan Prison. We saw also saw. Ourselves been invited back to participate in the training of new prison officers in preparation for them joining the service. Another significant development for us has been Sycamore Tree, our accredited restorative justice program which runs for six weeks. We challenge those who attend, we call them learners, to consider the impact of the cri- their crime on their victims. During the third week of that program we invite someone in who has been a victim of crime to share their story and this has always been the pivotal moment in that program. The honesty of one victim sharing how she lost her son and the pain and the hurt that this brought her family moves many of those present to consider their own crimes and what they have done. That final sixth session invites learners to share something that they would like to say to their victims if it were possible. I vividly recall one young man speaking to me as we suggested this would be an opportunity for people to say things. And he came to me and said, but hold on a minute. I can't do that. My victim's dead. Another man shared how he felt the course had nothing to offer him. In the first week, he said he wouldn't be coming back. However, he did attend the remaining weeks and turned up in the final session, shared of his grief sorrow and pain and the trauma his crimes had caused and he was looking at some way of being able to give back folks people often say things like once a criminal always a criminal or prison is too good for them or lock them up throw away the key we in prison fellowship have no problem with someone being sent to prison for a crime that they have committed We're very clear that crime has consequences and our desire is not to step around that issue. However, read Matthew 25 and we read that the righteous ask Jesus, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or in prison? And his response will be, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did unto me. As Christians, we all have a clear call to reach out to those in society. Yes, our mission field might look very different to others. But nonetheless, there are many with whom we have conversations on a daily basis that may never happen if they weren't in a prison cell. A man recently told one of our workers that he was struggling. Despite having made a profession of faith in his early years, he had fallen away. In the middle of the night, when he had been unable to sleep, he reached out for a Gideon Bible that was sitting on his table and started to read it. Eventually, he got down on his knees in his cell, weeping like a child, and asked God to forgive him. Another young man told how his life was in such a mess. He was contemplating suicide and prayed that God would send someone to help. A short time later, Two of our team visited that cell, and that surprised him. In one way, that God answered prayer so quickly, but also it surprised him that he knew one of the workers. Tragically, many of those that we visit struggle with mental health and personality disorders. So we often find our conversations with men and women are go around things like, "Why should I not die? Nobody cares." they'd be better off without me. And folks, maybe if you sat in a prison cell for three or four years and nobody came to visit, maybe some of those thoughts might pass across your mind as well. Thankfully, we believe that there is hope. We read in the New Testament of Legion, who was unable to be controlled, yet following a meeting with Jesus, we read that he was found sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. You see, we believe that our, place, our prisons can be places that become like, our people that can become like Legion, clothed and sitting in their right minds. Yes, there are times that it is difficult to see that happening, especially if you're working with someone who has continuously self, self-injured themselves through self-harm. But we always rely on God. May we never assume that there are certain kinds of sinners that God could never love and forgive. From our experience, God loves and uses dysfunctional, dirty, and damaged people because there aren't any other kinds of people for Him to love. Prison cannot change a man or a woman. No, Only through heart transformation will we see the real person that God intended them to be. Pray as we reach out to some of the very needy that we will see many coming to know Jesus personally and lives transformed, not just for now, but for eternity. We give thanks that some of those that have visit, we visited over the past 40 years left prison, not just reformed from a justice perspective, but with their hearts transformed. Some went on to serve God at home and abroad as pastors, as missionaries, but many who came to faith returned home to serve God in their families, their communities, and in their local churches. But prison is only one aspect of our work as has already been mentioned. We work alongside families who are those that we say are serving a silent sentence. Those folk never stood in a courtroom not to be judged anyhow. They stood with their loved one as they listened to a sentence being passed on him or on her. But they never stood before a judge. You see, the people that pass judgment about them live in their streets and their avenues and their communities. Their prison cell is their home. They live with the shame, the fear, the stigma, isolation that, that makes up a large part of that sentence. In our conversations with them they often ask what will happen to my loved one in prison? What will happen if I can't afford to pay the bills? For others it's guilt by association often not knowing anything of the crime that had been committed until a police officer called at the door and someone came to arrest them. Children taunted in their schools because of what a parent has done Loss of support from other members of his or her family. If you visit him, I will never step step foot back into this house again. If you visit her, you will never see your grandchildren again. Our families regularly visit folks across the province. The fact that someone cares, the fact that someone takes time to knock on the front door and comes in To see them for who they are. Not professional, but simply to come in and listen to what's going on in their lives. To have a coffee can transform a man or a woman's day. One occasion, a daughter of a family member was taken out for lunch to a local cafe. On return, she says, thank you for making me feel normal. For others... It's supporting those who struggle, not because their loved one is in prison, but rather supporting them because they're worried what will happen when he or she is released again. One lady says he's been drinking for over 30 years and often re-offends and returns to prison. However, this lady, a believer, says, I know there is nothing I can do. However, a visit with that lady encourages her and gives her hope the dollar's care and will be supporting her in prayer. One other practical way in which we are involved with the support of families is through our Christmas Hope project, providing hampers and groceries, hamper of groceries and an age-specific gift for each of the children in that home. Individuals and churches join in that task, that huge task to bring hope at Christmas to the lives of those we support. Last year, 523 hampers and that 606. Parcels of toys were distributed across Northern Ireland and were donated and delivered by volunteers. And I believe this response that we received captures the appreciation of many that we get alongside. Thank you so much. This honestly means the world to me. What you do for us and our children is amazing. I didn't really have a way to get something onto the tree for my son this year. And now, thanks to you, he is something with its name, his name on it. Prisoners, prisoners' families, and thirdly, those who are released back into the community. We call that aftercare. Almost those of, all of those within the prisons of Northern Ireland will be released. Two of our staff members support and come alongside those released to offer ongoing support. Getting released from prison can be one of the most challenging aspects for anyone who is imprisoned. While release is the goal from their first day of imprisonment, and often what keeps them going in the very difficult days of a sentence, the reality of turning back or returning back to the outside world can be very stressful and fraught with difficulty. This inside is often referred to by, as gate fever. The challenges are all to real. If you have no family to return home to or no other support mechanisms, where do you turn? Come with me to a, on a late Friday afternoon in the winter when you're told you're a prisoner, you are told that you're being released following your visit to court earlier that day. Your family lives abroad, your closest relative has no means of giving you a bed for the night. And as you prepare to get out of prison there's nowhere guaranteed for you to go to. The only thing you know is that you have an appointment tomorrow morning and that's over 70 miles from where you currently are. We cut alongside, we support that individual coming out. And as we do that, we wonder where do we find a bed for the night. At 9.15 in the evening, there is no accommodation available. The choices at this stage are exceedingly limited as we sit in a small cafe outside of Belfast. And so at 9.15 we decided the only thing we can do is prepare to find a bed for the night and put her up in agreement with a probation officer. It was agreed and we took her to where she needed to stay. Contacting her over the weekend, one of our staff had this response. She said, that had made her feel like a princess. Folks, our job is not to make people feel like princesses but I believe that by doing the practical things it opens up doors to introduce people to King Jesus we make judgment calls based on the evidence presented to us and we entrust that person to his love and care some people will still believe once a criminal always a criminal i challenge that opinion obviously on their own, a man or a woman is never able to change In their own. However, the hope of the gospel is the only hope for those who serve in, prison, in the prisons, their families, and those released from prison. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. And folks, that is why... We in Prison Fellowship are compelled to make Christ known in our prisons because he alone is our only hope, whether that is the prison cell, among families, or those released. We value your prayerful and practical support in offering hope and a new beginning to those who have had the privilege of serving. Can I invite you to come around this evening to the Global Village after this meeting and find out more how you may be involved In the work of Prison Fellowship. Thank you very much. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org/slash/donate.